is a Christian response to the LGBTQ historical agenda. Our purpose and objective will be to examine the history of the agenda, survey the tenets, and respond with Christian worldview. A quick question, what pops into your mind when I say LGBTQ agenda? Movement, LGBTQ, I'm not very Eric? simple. Um, like very aggressive, like very vocal, like always pushing, and yeah. the agenda is constantly growing, and now it's kind of like the plus, so there's all these other things tacked on to this. Very, and even though it's a large minority of like actual people who are a part of this, it's very loud spoken. <laughs> I think actually what I think of, most of the people that I know that are big supporters are heterosexual, they're not even homosexual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. The rainbow helps. <laughs> You, they took the rainbow, and now they made it into the band. So, so talking about Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about quick definition of LGBTQ. We have lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning. So that covers from female, female homosexuality to gay, just a general term, but usually for males. Bisexuals for just men and women you're sexually attracted to. Transgender, Owen talked about very well. Um, identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. And queer, it just kind of uh, covers everything. A person whose sexual orientation or gender identity falls outside the heterosexual mainstream or the gender binary. And they've even added you know, an I and a plus and <clears throat> many different things that they're just trying to keep expanding it, even beyond queer. So we look at um, the term homosexual, it didn't begin its use until the later 1800s, and then LGBTQ started out with either LGB or GLB in the 1980s, added the T in the 90s, and more recently, a few years ago, added the Q. Um, and then they've added more since then, depending on what you're looking at, who's talking. So how many people, we talked about this very few, um, actually in 2012, the self-identifying adults in the U.S. was 3.5%, about 8.3 million people. And then a few years later, um, it bumped up to 4.1%, estimated number 10 million people. The highest number I found was 4.5%, and that I think was more recent, so that might be a little more accurate uh, today. All right, so let's go all the way back to the ancient Greek culture and that was actually more bisexual in their homosexual use. Um, men would have a wife for procreation, but then they'd go have sex with young men for pleasure, domination, participate in what was considered a heavenly love versus a common love with your wife. The older man, um, he played the active role and the younger man was consensual, but he was a passive, so it's a very different thing than what we consider homosexuality today for the most part. Their identity was a male, but they expressed their sexuality multiple ways. Um, so men and boys, um, their identity was not as a homosexual. In 1 Corinthians 6-9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Um, I found it very interesting 
that the two Greek terms translated by the, in the phrase men who practice homosexuality referred to both the passive and the active partners in the consensual homosexual act. The first one was effeminate and refers to the male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness. The second is homosexual or sodomite and is defined as one who lies with a male as with a female. He is abuser of self with mankind. So we see at this time, homosexuality was celebrated by the culture, but was condemned by God. <clears throat> so throughout history, they've had an, a common agenda that um, it's been practiced throughout history, and it seems to be something that permeates the culture, and when they um, try to push their agenda, they um, become something that they is held in high regard in that culture. The first time that I saw homosexuality mentioned in the Bible, uh, it's taking over the culture and being completely accepted. In Genesis 13, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And then over a few chapters later in Genesis 18, we have the two angels arriving in Sodom. Um, they're meant, sent by God to wipe out the area due to the wickedness. Lot doesn't let them sleep out in the open because he knows what his fellow people are going to do to them. Um, bump up a few years to the 1800s. Um, German physicians began studying and theorizing about homosexuality. This is when the term homosexuality began to be used. Sigmund Freud invented a science of behavior called psychoanalysis. Between psychoanalysis and faith, homosexuality was categorized as evil. And then a few years later, mid-1800s, we start the modern normalizing of homosexuality. Have Alfred Kinsey and Evelyn Hooker, they kind of started this, <clears throat> studying it again, and they were um, going against um, the things that were looked at in the 1800s, and they wanted to fully normalize homosexuality. They published claims of homosexual that it was normal, contrary to the beliefs in the late 1800s, like I said. Um, they were very influential in this process. Also at this time, a switch started. The homosexual act began to change to homosexual people. They took on the identity of homosexual. Oops. The uh, community actually started forming at this time, especially in gay bars. In the 19, um, although in the 1950s, it was still illegal for same-sex PDA, and in New York, same-sex dancing was illegal until 1968. Laws were at least in part, at least part of the reason that they went into dark places to have these gay bars as their community meeting places. And that leads us to 1969, a, uh, when a gay bar in Greenwich Village called the Stonewall Inn, they were raided by the police, which was very common, and that usually they just kind of came in and they, everyone dispersed and then you know, came back the next night. Only, you know, arrested people sometimes or it wasn't a big deal. But this time, everyone in the gay bar just Revolted, and there was a riot, and um, it's hailed as a beginning point for the modern-day civil rights movement for the um, homosexual and LGBTQ movement. And so at this time, the activism just exploded. In 1972, we had some homosexual activists make a couple demands, two of many. Repeal all laws governing the age of sexual consent. It's interesting that if you connect this 
they've always been, the LGBTQ movement um, has always been advocates for abortion, even though they, they shouldn't have a reason for it. If you make abortion okay. <laughs> then moral sexuality is assaulted. And then if people start committing abortion, and then that makes them more um, open to expressing their sexuality in ways that are not um, moral. And they're more open to other sexual um, divergences. <laughs> Another quote, repeal all legislative provisions that restrict the sex or number of persons entering into a marriage unit. And I don't have more notes on that one. But does this remind you of ancient Greece again? It's, it hasn't really changed. In 73, we have a victory. The American Psychiatric Association declares homosexual, homosexuality is not a mental illness. And then... A few years later, um, in 81, unfortunately, the AIDS epidemic starts um, also exploding, especially among the gay men. <clears throat> I found a, a particularly popular um, gay rights activist, Barbara Giddings. I think she expresses the agenda from the horse's mouth, so to say. What the homosexual wants, and here he is neither willing to compromise nor morally required to compromise, is acceptance of homosexuality as a way of life fully on par with heterosexuality. So the goal is fully equal and accepted, just like heterosexuals. This includes redefining of God's laws and purposes for his children's sexuality. Another quote from her, equality means more than passing laws. The struggle is really one in the hearts and minds of the community, where it really counts. They're not just looking for equal rights and being treated equally. They want to dive in to all the hearts of the entire country. So what would that take? What can we just kind of spitball? What do you think that would include? How would they dive into the hearts and minds of the community? Mm-hmm. Schools? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Stuff like the gender unicorn. Oh, no, yeah, well, listen to Christian talk about that. <clears throat> but also, I, I keep thinking kids, so I think community centers like YMCA, mm -hmm. um, places like that. I mean, that's a place. Eric? Yeah, just uh, television. You can't watch a single TV show now, really, without having homosexual relationships or mm -hmm. movies. Or, like, yeah, it um, has become a normalized thing. It's almost expected there would be at least one homosexual couple or something of that in really everything. It probably even it's going to come into superhero movies, cartoons, like really anything possible that it could be in, it's going to be normalized. It was in The Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but recently too the the um, the uh, speaking of cartoons the what's the person? No, 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 uh, Arthur. Yeah. Arthur. Just last week. Arthur. There was a I saw a notice that uh, Arthur has for the first time he's sitting at a reception or sitting at a at a uh, same sex wedding. Yeah. I'm going to pass this around. You guys are spot on, I think. This is a book I found at our library in Lubbock, and it was very helpful. I used it as 
much of my history, actually, for this paper. It's a book, um, What Was Stonewall? And I mentioned what that was. Um, a gay bar in the depths of Greenwich Village, in the darkest, some of the darkest places, and what happened there, the riots. And um, this is a book aimed toward elementary age children. And it's a very popular series, what was or who was, you know, Amelia Earhart and things like that. But this is what was Stonewall. You want to glance at that. Just, to, I found it very interesting and pretty disturbing. Yeah. Was there anything else that were you coming? Okay. So this is an example of the agenda being pushed. I think you're all spot on on that. So <clears throat> they actually have a um, paper and a book of their step-by-step -step plan to regress their agenda. This was back in 87. Um, Kirk and Madsen published an article called The Overhauling of Straight America. And two years later, they released a book that was kind of expanded this topic called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. And this book becomes the manifesto for the LGBTQ agenda. And I'm using LGBTQ, even if it's anachronistically, just as that movement even though they didn't start using that until later. So the first step, desensitize. That's it. We don't want to just jump out in the schools and do everything, but just start it going. Since we're a small population, got to talk about gay and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. This includes putting gay characters and themes into media. We talked about, I think we're about as smart as they are on that. Okay, so second one, portray gays as victims. Mm -hmm. They're not aggressive challengers, so you don't have anything to worry about. And then we have protectors. We can have these protectors that we give them a just cause to protect. That's what we talked about, the heterosexuals being a big part of the movement because they're being the protectors for this just cause. Then you make the gays look good. Make the victimizers look bad. Solicit funds, you need that for a movement, of course. Getting on the air getting out in the public everywhere, including media campaigns. This talks about getting gays to be in the public eye, sponsor ads, family be, be family friendly, to be appealing. They specifically said, we are not going to include NAMBLA, I'm not sure, N-A-M-B-L-A. They're not gonna have that participated because that is North American Man-Boy Love Association. So they're not going to say this is wrong, they just don't want this in their public image. <laughs> so that goes back to Greek culture again. Has not changed. So the familiarization, familiar, familiarization, positive associations, victim sympathy, identification with the victim, vilification of victimizers, and a call for funds again. So even in political races, um, they talked about in this paper that they would like to have many, many homosexuals run for political office, but then right before the election, drop out. So they knew they wouldn't win, but they wanted to get out in the public just so that it would start to be normalized and um, people would see that. Um, they want to portray homosexuals as upstanding citizens who are just like heterosexuals, except they're attracted to uh, the same sex. That's it. I found a, um, a few reasons for in the secular world against homosexual living. Um, a couple examples. One chart is percent of people 
The red is a sexual minority, which is anyone in the LGBTQ um, identification. And then the or tan, whatever that color is, is the sexual majority, which is heterosexual. And this is percentage of that total group, how many use um, or have substance use disorder within the past or within the past year. Um, so we see, you know, 7.8% versus 15%, 6.1 versus 10.8 on all these illicit drug or alcohol use, marijuana, pain reliever. It's all quite substantially higher in the uh, sexual minority. This next one is same colors, but percent with any mental illness in the past year. Wow. And just, yeah, 37.4% with the minority versus 17%. And the numbers are all about the same. Um, and to expound on that just a little bit, there are multiple ways that members of the LGBTQ community have a lesser health quality than the rest of the public. Some examples that I didn't quite delve into the research, um, more than just emotional health, they are had uh, and the substance use disorders. Um, others, life expectancy, of course, AIDS, HIV, and other sexually transmitted diseases and things associated with that. Those can also lead to later health issues in life. It's not just the disease itself. Dangerous sexual practices, using body parts in the way that God did not make it to be used, leads to very um, difficult things to deal with. Cancer risk factors, and many more things. Um, this is a good secular response, but also with our Christian response that we're, you know, temple of God to live in, and um, why would you do things that would affect other people's health in that, in that way? All right. <clears throat> Christian response. If you want to be like Jesus, we can take it back to the beginning. Matthew 19, Jesus is asked a question about his, um, divorce. If it's okay, what, what his thoughts on that? Um, of course, he's being tested, and there, people don't really care what he, um, what the uh, right answer is. They just want to divorce their wives and not have to deal with that stuff. They're trying to find the way out of God's plan. I think that really fits with this topic. Jesus goes back to Genesis, God's establishment of marriage and sex, and um, showing that God does not want brokenness in relationships. He hates what divorce does to his children, and he also hates when people turn his plan on its head because he knows what is good for us and we don't. Mm. And also I, I threw in there marriage and sex, they're not rights. They're gifts from, from God. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that everyone has a different gift. Not marrying um, can be someone's gift. Jesus also talks about those who don't marry for the sake of the kingdom in Matthew 19. That's a very honorable thing to choose if that is what um, fits in your life. To serve God. The simple answer for us, our response, love. Just love. Christians are called to love. What was included in love? Part of that is truth. We must speak truth. If we go to Romans 1, uh, talking about idolatry and that people are turning from God to idolatry, trusting in their own hearts. They're claiming to be wise, they became, became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And down 
In 27, the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So, <clears throat> um, Romans 1 speaks of people doing, turning from God and doing whatever they thought they should do, all about idolatry. And there's an emphasis on their sin of homosexuality. If you go to Galatians 5.24, says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't have the right to do whatever we want. God gives us the directives on what is best for us. He gives all of us with that. Um, he, gives, he gives all of us with that, with what we should be doing. And Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 to not sin. He doesn't do that because he does not care about her. He loves her. That's why he says, don't sin. I know what's best for you. But we can, we can look at the positive. There is this um, lady, Rose, Rosaria Butterfield. Yeah. She had formerly lived, lived as a lesbian. Um, it's interesting, she does not identify herself as a lesbian of any kind. Um, that she believes that identity should be in Christ. And so she can say, I you know, used to identify as a lesbian but that was against God, and so she does not like to call people lesbians or gays just in her life, um, even if that's how they identify themselves. Um, so the LGBT, LGBTQ community, she says, um, it's a hard community to leave. It's a well-honed community. It's a community of people who have spent decades working together to bear one another's burdens. So if we take that to the church, um, I think the answer is becoming just what Christ wanted us to become, that community for people to come to. Community and hospitality is a huge thing in the LGBTQ community. So we can look at that, and we can take it and see. Jesus ate with the worst of society. And um, some people view homosexuality as the worst in society, but as we look back in Romans 1, um, it brings a lot of other sins that equal, it shows as equal to homosexuality. So... Did you get this quote out of uh, The Gospel Comes with the House, Kate? I did not. I got it from an uh, inter- interview, actually, with Greg... Um, Kako? Kupiao. Yeah. So. so in view of this, what are some ways that we can live in a community with people who identify as LGBTQ? Is there anything different that we would need to think about rather than just your normal person off the street who is, of course, in sin if they're not in Christ? <coughs> Repeat your question. <clears throat> is there um, my question was what are some ways that we can live live in community with people and live you know do life with those people um, even though we may be afraid of them they're just totally different how do we do that Eric? Well, if we're taking again the example of love in Christ, it's Christ loved us while we were still sinners. It's not like we got our act together then Jesus died for us. So we can, and this isn't for only homosexuality, obviously, this is for really anything. We can't expect someone to fully change if they don't fully know who Christ is. So first off, showing them what love is, showing them what true community is, show them who Christ is through your actions, through the way you love them, because they're never going to listen to you if you're just telling them, you're wrong, what you're doing is wrong, what you feel is wrong. They're they're not going to listen to you for a second, but if they feel true love and community, and acceptance, and you can speak truth into that, it will be a far more impactful. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say just 
And uh, Butterfield's work, she has two, two, two um, volumes that you want to get your hands on. The first one was the one I mentioned earlier, The Gospel Comes With a House Key, one of the most powerful books I've ever read in my life. Uh, in the introduction, I was moved to the point where I bought two copies and told my wife, we need to read this because I genuinely believe God is speaking <laughs> through, through what she's doing. That's number one. But number two, in her book, she, she's, get both of her books, by the way. In her books, she makes this point that I think you can follow it. You can see it everywhere. The notion of acceptance is practiced more aggressively and more with more integrity in almost any other unit than the church. The church has this weird issue where we create a vetting system before we bring you into a deep kind of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And we, we almost keep you at a distance. And we do it with everything. Like, just consider somebody that was baptized into Christ, and we, now wait now before you pray. Wait before you do this. And we say, well, you need, you need to be trained. But really, you put that in somebody else's hands. You look at community, look at gang culture, look at homosexual agenda, look at bike riders, look at the hood, look Look any, at any other group. Look at even uh, some of our, um, some of our, um, uh, and I, I hope this doesn't come across negatively, but look at the distinctions when you go into the hood of like our Latino brethren, our black brethren, our Asian brethren, our Korean brethren, and the way the community's done there, the acceptance idea is that if you don't have, you have here. If you need, you have here. If you, do, our benevolence, typical church benevolence, we go through a process first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just simply saying, she brings up a very strong point to, and to answer your question, I think we may need to do an overhaul in what we call community in order to practice that more. Yeah. Uh, because we, we get scared. You come in looking the wrong way, you got eyeliner on, and you a dude with a beard, six foot five, 350 pounds. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking it, but she got a question. Um, I guess, considering uh, what you were talking about with the different communities, um, African American and Latino communities, I'm often intrigued by the um, the civil rights arguments. Yeah. What do you see um, as far as the parallels when they compare when uh, LGBTQ compares their uh, struggle to for the African American struggle oh, for yeah. civil rights? Oh, that is absolutely a false paradigm, and, and she uh, she mentioned it. The book you mentioned uh, that you also need to get your hands on, After the Ball, that is, when she said manifesto is true, it's probably in three or four other major texts that describe the homosexual agenda uh, and how Christians ought to be aware of it. But in the After the Ball, they are intentionally, part of the notion of agenda is that homosexuality is intentionally taking the posture of being the victim by any means necessary. So one of the ways we will be the victim is to compare orientation, choice, to ethnic posture. I didn't choose to be black. I was born black. But homosexuality is something you choose. Even if one says, no, I have an appetite, you choose to eat. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. You, there's some things you can't get out of. So uh, in this case, that's exactly what they do. But they do it in, for the sake of, now once you're the victim, what can you do? you can get someone else to champion your cause. And once I champion your, champion your cause, then you, you've accepted me, whether you want to or not, whether you choose to or not.
But homosexuals, they do say that they were born that way. Of course they do, but it's orientation nonetheless. Impulse biology, even the science that's behind it, that's a false construct. One of the other areas that um, that um, uh, Autumn brought up in the tier of after the ball, how do you get someone to make orientation uh, equal to um, uh, biology? You have to begin young. So if I begin young by saying, notice the LGBTQ. What is Q? Queer or questionable? I don't know. So how can I get you in that I don't know stage to go ahead and agree you were born that way? Well, the younger you start with the child by programming them to think that the reason why you feel this way is because God made you that way, then I can strengthen my argument to say I was made that way. And it becomes normalized. And once it's normalized, then the language changes. And you, you change the language to support your position. And when you change the language to support your position, you inundate everybody's thinking. You overwhelm them to become your champion. And once folks say this, leave her alone. That's how she was made. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not taking the same position as you, but leave her alone. What have I become? Your champion. What have I also done? Supported your, your thinking. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, you've converted me, whether you meant to or not. And that's what happens. It's a three-tier approach. So... Very good, very good work. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump off in there, but that's a very powerful point. Yeah, that's all I have is a conclusion of saying <clears throat> that we are all also beggars coming to Jesus, um, that we all have access to become children of God. Um, saying, uh, yeah, Romans 2, 1, that we're thinking that we're better than them. We're passing judgment on ourselves. And... Through, but through this, the evil in the agenda, can we, can we look through that? And can we see future safe people? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Um, but verse 11 says, And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So is there any, any other comments? And we just had a good discussion. Yeah, I know personally multiple people before that I can um, who were Christians involved in the church and who started practicing homosexuality because they they found the quote-unquote love of Christ in a uh, in a person who was the same sex as them. And I, I just think it's a really, that's a really um, important point that if, if we're not showing, as the church and as Christians, if we're not showing people the love of Christ, they're going to go and try and find it other places. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you, you know, juxtapose that notion to the statistics that uh, Autumn mentioned, because that is real important. When you, when you look at other works and you look at other uh, research that's been done, much of the reason why people have chosen to take, um, to take, to root themselves into an inclination, an impulse, an appetite that's not permitted is because they have psychologically been oriented to do so. That's the agenda. And when you follow that, those statistics, for instance, some of them need help by way of drugs, alcohol, yada, yada, yada. Some of them have psychological trauma and they found support in that same-sex attraction. Much of it, when you go back and you look at some of the, some of the issues where, you know, parentally at home, 
Well, what are you looking for in this person? The mother I never had. What are you looking for in this person? The father I never had or the brother I never had. Or take it to the other extreme. Sometimes it's trauma. That man hurt me. The man will never hurt me again. So you go to the other extreme. I shared the story with y'all about my sister who had that same struggle as she, you know, she fought her way out of it. But then there's a couple of things I want to recommend to you as well. J just these are books. And I wanted to ask you this question in your, in your study and help you to get into it. Did you find in your research, especially with the history, of how the Bible <coughs> has been used to legitimize, to legitimize homosexual activity? Did found you some find of that. Yeah. I mean, as, there's the identity that if God made me this way, if this is who I am, I can find my identity in Christ even. Yeah. And since I was, he made me this way, um, then I can express my sexuality this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And one of the one of the counters I know for that being made that way, at least from just from a logical apologetic standpoint, is what do you say to children of uh, whose parents have gone through addictive behavior, and now chemically mm -hmm. they are made with a strong inclination for alcohol, drugs, etc. Did God make them that way, or did prior failings? allow their biology to be that way. And even with it, does that mean even with that that we're now saying, oh, well, you need to be a drunk then? <laughs> we don't do that with that. Have you, you follow what I'm going with this? The logic doesn't carry over, but we do the same thing now with, with a sexual appetite. That's what we're doing. So we've, we've displaced biology to identity. Uh, we've displaced appetite to identity, and they're not the same. We've created a conflation of the two, and they're not the same. Um, truth be told, we are not even our ethnicity. We're much more than that. Mm -hmm. And so you can tease that all the way out. Now, one of the one of the ways that in Scripture that it's used, the Genesis 13 text, they will take that same passage and say that there was nothing wrong with the with the issues of Sodom. The problems at Sodom wasn't the homosexuality; it was a lack of hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> That's the argument. That is the argument. That is the argument. The 1 Corinthians 6 passage that she uses. Now, I'm giving you this because you need to be able to respond. In the 1 Corinthians 6 text, the homosexual agenda will take that passage and say, again, you've misread it. You've looked at an archaic text, and the Bible says such were some of you. But the issue is not that they were homosexuals, that they were homosexual offenders. You can blame the NIV for that so nothing's wrong with homosexuality. The problem is the problem because the homosexual has now offended. Y'all see the, see the nuance there? Yeah. And so that becomes a dangerous text to look at. The other one, of course, in Romans uh, 1, they, they dance around that by simply using the same kind of allusion to the offense. They were offending God. They offended God, but God never, never condemned what they were doing. Even though in the text it clearly says un natural. You can sidestep what you want to sidestep when you want to create an agenda. I, I had a, a homosexual man explain that to me kind of, but his spin was um, the offender's part being loose or slutty instead of in one yeah. monogamous homosexual yeah. relationship that's yeah. very respectful. So Absolutely. That's how he twisted it into it being compliant with Yeah, yeah. And, and it's okay Christ. once you are following that mandate. And what I found in my research that that like never happens. There's very rarely a monogamous gay homosexual relationship. Um, they even yeah. even if they make deals each, with each other, you know, and we agree with it. It's okay that we'll have these separate partners. 
I mean, that always. Yeah, that's a up. statistic that is actually very, very true. I'm pretty sure Chris is going to bring that up. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into your right. what? Specifically, what part? <laughs> the the um, the um, multiple partners. Yeah, kind of. All right. Well, good. Well, we'll hold that thought till you get there. Yeah. Let me let me bring this this in, and, I, and I'll I'll, get, I'll give it to you because we got three books I want you to put in your in your uh, arsenal. One I don't recommend as highly as the others, but uh, one by Sean McDowell. Y'all know Sean McDowell. That's Josh's son. He's got a book uh, called Same-Sex Marriage, but in the book he's done quite a bit of research on responding to some of the, um, the, uh, the scriptural arguments lobbed by the homosexuals to give back to him. John Ankerberg is another book. This one is not on my top notch, but it's good because he does research on talking about some of the psychological issues, the downsides, etc. Wesley Hill, I'm just giving you these names, y'all can look up the books, but Wesley Hill has a book called Washed and Waiting. That's, that book, the premise is this. He's a man with uh, homosexual urges, homosexual appetite, same-sex attraction. He believes in the Bible's teaching on marriage and family. Therefore, he does not give himself to his appetites or his inclinations. He believes that, there, that typically the church responds in one of two ways. One, God is going to fix them. So he's going to miraculously take the appetite away. Or two, God will teach him out of it. Or, or he will, I'm sorry, two, he will have to submerge it, suppress it, and try to live a life with someone he's not attracted to just to honor God. Or three, I wait for heaven because it's better anyway. Mm -hmm. So he takes three. Yes, did y'all hear what I just said? Yeah. So he takes the third route. Really powerful book because what he does is he admits to the fact that this 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 uh, impulse, this inclination, this appetite is real, but it does not overrule the will of God. So um, that was that. Any any last thoughts for? Oh, we got two right here. I was gonna when you were talking about the. Uses using transgender using homosexual passages to support homosexuality. Uh, I was reading some thesis top papers uh, for my research, and I found a lot of people that use the Book of Esther to as a coming out story for gays. Like that's what Esther is about. Uh, and I found like there were literally tens of papers, like like fifteen or twenty of them that were about that is what it's for. Interesting. I mean, not and deeply researched high high quality papers on that, and I, I couldn't even. I'm not going to. I don't remember any of them because I didn't actually use them. But yeah, I just that's. Well, the, the other hot topic passage, of course, is the relationship between David and Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. And that is the that's like the the number one. Uh, he loved him greater than the love of a woman, and uh, that passage is, has been like, uh, you know, for the homosexual agenda. There we go. There we go, King David. King David and Jonathan, what else are you going to get out of that? All because love has been skewed. And if you pay attention to the nuance, love has been equivocated to sex. Never says anything about sex. It says he loves it. And you got other passages that talk about love being deeper. They didn't bring those up, you know. They didn't bring up any of those. But when you have an agenda, the thing that wasn't stated that I think needs to be heard over and over again, this was and is an agenda. 
and the agenda has historically gone from the East Coast to the West Coast, and it's used four primary tiers. It's used education, it's used politics, it's used media, and it's used the public becoming so comfortable that they champion the cause rather than use a moral compass. So do some research and pay attention to those tiers, because when you do, everything you've mentioned, you'll be able to see it everywhere. It's like, it's like the Matrix. You become Neo, you see the code, and you're like, ah, that's a bullet. I'm not Kevin. You see it. You had your, your hand up. Uh, I was just going to ask, what's the second book that you said? Uh, the second book by John Ankerberg. I can't remember the title, but it's John Ankerberg, and it, it may just be on homosexuality. And Wesley Hill was the third one, Washed and Waiting. Sean McDowell, John Ankerberg, Wesley Hill. And make sure you get after the ball. That is the manifesto. You'll see it clear. It will both horrify you and, and make you go, wow, all at the same time.